Let's take our Bibles tonight and go to Matthew 28 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Matthew 28 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The story is told of a man who was struggling with a refrigerator in the doorway of his house. He was obviously struggling, trying to get it through the door, and he was having a very difficult time. Someone walking by saw him sweating and decided as a good neighbor, as a good Samaritan, that he would stop and help him get that refrigerator in the house. And they began to work at it and exert themselves. Before long, there was sweat coming down their foreheads. And uh, there was, uh, and, and he said, man, I'm out of shape. It's been a long time since 82 when I used to be able to throw a football a quarter mile. And he began to push hard and do his best. He wanted to be, to be a help. And after about 15 minutes, the owner of the house said, we, we need to stop. This is not working. We've got to figure something else out. He said, I, I, I didn't think getting a refrigerator out of the house would be this difficult. He said, get a refrigerator out of the house. I was trying to get it in the house. They're working against one another, trying their best to work together. But they didn't understand what the purpose is. This message tonight is my best attempt as a pastor to tell you what I believe the purpose of Hope Baptist Church is. If we were to be charitable and gracious, which we should be with one another, we should believe that everyone here is here for a particular reason, and it's a good reason. But if it's not the same reason, we will not be able to work together to see souls one to Christ. Anytime someone has joined the church, they've said something similar to this by the raising of their hand. I want to love these folks, pray for these folks, and work together with these folks to see souls one to Christ. And I believe that is uh, the desire of every heart. But because of the fact that we all are, it's a decent-sized church, and because there are lots of spaces, we're not crowded in here, and because we have our, our time free to ourselves, and we come here only two or three times a week, sometimes we can be at cross-purposes and not really know what the purpose of the church is. And I'm going to do my best to state to you from the Bible, and it's my job to inspire you and to facilitate that. I can't make anyone do anything. But I want to share with you what I believe is God's heart for the church, and therefore, if it is God's heart for the church, it ought to be our heart for the church. And uh, there's so many different things, and the, God, the Bible tells us that we have uh, differences in administrations. We can make different choices within the guidelines of Scripture. And so, who makes the call? Well, that wonderful duty falls to me, to make the call as to what we will do as a church within the confines of the Word of God. Now, I can't, as I said, uh, make you, the members of this church, do anything. And uh, I am so thankful for those of you that pray for me, because I need wisdom more than anything in the world. I need wisdom. Because the job is basically to try to help people understand what God wants us to do and then to inspire them, not drive them to do it. Now, when we think of the church, the purpose of the church, uh, if you were to take out a three-by-five card and write down the purpose of Hope Baptist Church is, and then fill that out, I, I don't know where we would be on that, but I would, let me venture some, some 
incorrect assumptions. I don't know that anyone here has these, but I've heard them and I've felt them in the past in churches. One incorrect assumption about the church is that bigger is better. Bigger is better. The more people we have, the more right we are. Now, of course, you understand the problem with that is if there is a bigger church that doesn't follow the word, then that automatically cancels us out. You follow what I'm saying? And uh, this is a decent-sized church. We've lost a few folks in the last few years, and God uh, probably will add those back in. But that's not our goal. Our goal is not to be bigger, to have more people. Our goal is simply to honor him and to follow his word. I would hate for the Lord to come by and say, why are you still at that number? I, well, Lord, we don't want to be fake. We, we, we didn't want to be, you know, pushing people and manipulating. He said, look, I gave you something to invest and to, to, re, to give me a return on my investment. So we don't want to keep the church small. Smaller is not better. Bigger is not better. Another correct assumption, of, incorrect assumption about the church is that the purpose of the church is to help me do what I want to do in my Christian life. Well, that's only true as insofar as what you want to do in your Christian life lines up with the Bible. Because we may say, well, I don't, know, I don't understand why the church doesn't do this. Well, you may have a good point. By the way, it would be better for you to share your idea about what you think the church ought to do rather than get bitter over what the church is not doing. But even if you share it, that doesn't mean that that's what the church is supposed to do. You follow what I'm saying? Where do we start with knowing we got to go to the Bible? we got to go to the Bible. The purpose of the church is not simply to help me make friends with other Christians. That's one of the things that needs to be done. And if you don't have friends in this church, you're doing it wrong. You need to develop friends. But that's not the purpose of the church. P- people come and say, well, what, what do you have for my kids? Now, they don't say that very often. We use it kind of as a trope. It's kind of an easy whipping post to, to talk about. But there are people who will call and say, I remember talking with a lady on the phone. She says, what do you have? Do you have women's Bible studies? And I said, we certainly uh, have things for the ladies. We don't have a weekly Bible study for the Oh, I'm not interested in being a part of a church that doesn't care enough about ladies to do that. I understand. I understand there are churches that have that type of a ministry offering for the ladies. It's a huge, big blessing to them. And it's not that we could not do that or would not do that here. At this time, it's not where we are. But the idea of coming to a church, I want to go where I can push that button and that treat falls out. That's not the biblical purpose of the church. Here's another one. Incorrect assumption about the church. A church, you'll hear people say sometimes, a place where a dynamic preacher lights himself on fire and people come to watch him burn. That, that, uh, that's certainly a blessing. When you have a dynamic preacher, uh, when he metaphorically lights himself on fire. Very careful nowadays with the, my metaphors about fire. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> It just doesn't have the say, I mean, on fire for God. I'm not interested, okay? I don't do that. Being lit? No, we don't do that. Nothing, nothing like that. But uh, the idea is, boy, if we could just get a preacher that just got the job done, wouldn't that be nice? 
The problem with that is this idea that you're, again, coming as a, as um, a, not a participant, but someone who is coming to be, uh, to be, what's the word I'm looking for? Spectator. What's the, it's with a P word. I thought it was. I, I can't remember. It'll, it'll come to you right in the middle of the next point. But, but instead of being involved, you're, you're coming to watch the game. You pay your money for the ticket and you yell and scream as much as you want or not. But ultimately, you have very little to do with what's going on in the field. And the, and the problem with that, we, we have, in, in, in the years gone by, let's say in the, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, um, it was easier in some ways to build a church built around the attractional model, which is uh, attracting people to the building to see the show. Now, what happened over the years is, back then, people knew they should, go, they should be in church. So you would say, hey, why don't you come to church? And people would, if you were interested and you were excited about your church, they would come because they interested in their church. They don't want to go to that church anymore. Uh, I was talking with someone just yesterday about how he went from one church to another. And boy, this church was boring. I can't believe it. And I, I want to go to a church where I can be excited and so forth. There's nothing wrong with that. But what happened is over the years, as people no longer had a foundational habit of going to church, now what do they have? Well, they have a foundational habit of going to the movies or going to concerts or athletic events. And so we've got to imitate what they do there so that people will come to this event. And so then now the, the preacher, he better be on his game and maybe he has a, a stool, which I mean, like Brother Heaven said, there's nothing unbiblical about using a stool. But the mindset is that I've got to do some kind of a show so people will come and watch the show. That's an incorrect assumption about the church. You know what that is? It's like saying, uh, it's like having a team that comes together to listen to the coach. Look at him. Look at what he's saying. I love when he says that. That's great. Say that again. That's really cool. We have the best coach. See what I'm saying? Yeah, the coach may be dynamic or he might be bland. He might be really intense or he might be kind of passive like this. Guys, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, the coach is there to help them play the game. They're not the audience. They're not the spectators. They're the participants. The purpose of a church is not for me to be an amazing Christian for you to come watch me burn. Now, I should try to be a good Christian. I should, and you should hold me to that. You, you should be able to say, hey, pastor, what's going on? Why, what, what's that? Shouldn't have that. And if, and if you really felt burdened about something that I was doing, I hope that you would care enough about me and come and say, pastor, I've prayed about this. And I've talked with, with one of the deacons about this. And we're really concerned about this. I would never. I hope you would. I hope you would come with the Bible. He said, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. And you would come and you would say, hey, listen. But, but, But even still, the goal of this church, the purpose of this church, is not for you to come watch me be an amazing Christian. Let's talk about the purpose of the church. Matthew chapter 28. Look at verse 18. Matthew 28, 18, after the resurrection of Christ, the most unprecedented event in human history, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Right there, unless you're a hyper-dispensationalist, even if you were to say that specifically those words are not found, the, the principles are certainly found in the Pauline epistles. They're soaked with these principles. It's all, you can't miss it. What is it? Go you therefore and teach all nations. Well, who's going to do that? Well, the missionaries. He makes no distinction here. He makes no distinction between full-time workers and those who are not paid by a church. He says, go ye. If you need to remember in, in, in the King James Bible, the Lord very graciously gives us differences in pronouns. He was on this pronoun thing way before anybody else was. All the Y pronouns are plural. All the T pronouns are singular. Thee, thou, thine, those are singular. Ye, yours, you, those are plural. And that helps us to remember. So he's saying, everybody, everybody, go and teach all nations. Well, I'm not a teacher. Well, then you must not be saved. He said, go ye and teach. Go ye. Well, I don't, I, 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 all the excuses, I, they're understandable. We're humans. But there's no exception clauses in this thing. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. What's the next step? Baptizing them. Baptizing. What is that? It's a public declaration of what took place in the heart. He expects us to go and do this and to bring folks who will be baptized. And then what's the next step? Teaching them to observe all things. Notice it doesn't say teaching them all things. Teaching them to observe all things. If you observe Christmas, what does that mean? It's not that you see Christmas and you shake your head, you know, nod your head at Christmas as you walk by. It means that you are employing some type of a practice. Maybe you have a bale bush in your house. Right? Maybe you burn a Yule log and hope that the, the pagan deity will rise from the dead. I don't know. But uh, you have something that you employ so that you say, I observe Christmas. I observe Easter. I observe these different holidays. He's saying it should so impact you that you have different habits, different actions in your life as a result of having been saved and baptized. Now, and by the way, the responsibility is on the believers. Go ye therefore and teach them to observe. Right? That's our responsibility. And aren't you glad that he said we have all power available to us in verse 18. And in verse 20, we have the very presence of Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit. He is with us even unto the end of the world. So we can go anywhere in the world and we could accomplish this. Well, I just don't think that it's right for American colonialism to go into other countries. Hold on a second. Is it okay for Coke to go in? Is it okay for, uh, for Ford to, to build a car? Is it okay for Apple to go into other? But what are they doing? They're selling and they're fulfilling their great commission, which is great commission. Making lots of money. That's their commission. What's our commission? This is our commission. 
so that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Now, the Catholics, they had, they had the right idea to go there for and, and to get a message out. It wasn't the gospel message. How do I know that? Because many times it was done at the point of the sword or at the point of a gun. You say these words now. And they say the words, and they were, by the way, I mean, that comes from Constantine, who said, all the soldiers march by, and I'll take this olive, this branch of a tree, and I'll shake holy water and, on you, and now all of y'all are converted. That's what he did. That we, we can't make anyone do anything. That's what's so amazing about the church. You're not getting paid to be here, and yet you're here. You, you were here, and, and you endured to the end through a sermon this morning, and yet you're back again tonight. What is that? There's something in your heart that desires to fulfill this commission. And you believe that Jesus Christ is alive and that he can do that work through you. Now, let's take our Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Is there any unrighteousness in Jesus Christ? Is your old nature in Christ? The answer to both of those is no. There's no unrighteousness in Christ, and your old nature is not in Christ. That's why he can say, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things, all things, uh, what do you say? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Yes, you are saved. You are clean and righteous. And we sing, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And we, it's an important thing to remember. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. But we also need to remember that my identity, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I am brand new because of Jesus Christ. Do you know what kind of a message that is for Toledoans? That they don't need drugs. They don't need alcohol. They don't need pornography. They don't need multiple strings of relationships, breaking up and getting back together with new people and spending their heart and their life on uh, and putting their money in a bag with holes. They don't need that. You know what they need? They need Jesus Christ. Why? Because if any man be in Christ, old things are passed away. So Paul could say, all the junk that happened in my life, I don't even think about that stuff anymore. You know what psychologists tell us? We need to go back and investigate what actually happened, as if your memory is that good. Isn't it true that you can't even remember what you had for breakfast yesterday? You're going to go back 40 years and remember the world as it is, as it was? You're not. No, the answer is not go back. The answer is, I am a new creature in Christ right now. And yeah, maybe I had a whole lot of junk that happened in my life, and I'm sorry for that, but that's not where I am. Forgetting those things that's already hard. What, what are the things that we're supposed to forget if it's not that? Yeah, I don't have to work hard to forget the good things that happened. I have to work hard to forget the bad things that happened. I don't have to be there anymore. I'm not supposed to be there. And psychologists make money by telling you that you need to go back and try to fix it. And you can't. You cannot. You know what can fix it? The person of Jesus Christ inside you. In fact, if you're saved, he's already fixed it. That's too simple, isn't it? That's just way too simple. Hard to charge $100 an hour for that. Listen, if you think I'm I'm against psychologists, 
You're right. Absolutely. It's pseudoscience. It's science falsely so-called. So I've been getting fired up. I've been reading about it recently and seeing, oh my, they've done a lot of damage to our country. But, but, but I now, as a new creature in Christ, I have a whole world of possibility. In fact, he said, even under the end of the world, God can take me all the way to the end of the world now. I literally can go. I have a platinum card with the, the heavenly airlines. I can go anywhere, anywhere because of the power of Jesus Christ and the presence, uh, his presence in my life every day. And that's where we are. And then he says in verse 18, all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Is God mad at you? The answer is no. If you're his child, God is not mad at you. How do I know that? He hath reconciled you by Jesus Christ. I didn't say God's happy with everything that you do. There's the judgment seat of Christ, by the way, that burns out those works that I've done that are not going to be worthy of his glory. But I'm only in heaven because I am reconciled to God at that point. Is God happy with you? Absolutely. Ask yourself this. Is God happy? Is the Father happy with Jesus Christ? If he is, and he is, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If he's happy with Jesus and Jesus is in you, he's happy with you. Sorry to ruin your, 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 your Baptist doctrine of I have to get right with God so that God likes me. We've got to be careful we don't drag that nonsense into the Christian life. I'm not saying that God's happy with sin. I never said that. That old nature, God's never been happy with your old nature. He tells you to crucify the old man with the affections and lusts. But that's not your identity anyhow. Your identity is in Christ. Now he says, all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now look, look what he's given us. He's given us reconciliation with God the Father through Christ. And so he has given us a responsibility because of that gift. And he says, here's, here's what that was. The ministry of reconciliation, here's what it was. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Salvation from sin. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. By the way, he said he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for what? Sins of the whole world. He is reconciling the world. God was in Christ, reconciled the world. When what has he done? And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The hardest part for us as believers is recognizing God intends to use me to reconcile lost sinners to himself. Now, we believe that it should be done. We, we, we put it on plaques. We, we bow down and worship it. It's the greatest. We just don't want to implement it. As long as nobody makes, makes me feel like I should be doing it. It should feel very difficult. In fact, it should feel impossible for you to truly do it. And when I say impossible, I don't mean that it can't be done. In the old nature, in the physical human body and mindset that I have, I cannot reconcile the world to Jesus Christ. In fact, tell you a dirty little secret, I don't even want to. I don't care. I've got other things. They have to deal with the consequences of their actions. I'm going to deal with the consequences of mine. By the way, isn't that what everybody thinks in the world anyhow? 
Just do your business, I'll do mine. If Jesus had thought like that, he never would have left heaven's glory and come here. He did. And he has given to us the word of reconciliation. And I would suggest to you, if you feel really uncomfortable when you hear that, that it is incumbent upon every believer to fulfill the Great Commission, here's what you got to do. you got to go to your knees in prayer. Because you probably feel, like I do, an overwhelming burden. I can't. I can't. It's not going to work. They don't listen. It's not the same as it was. This is a different world. This place is wicked, horrible. All of that was true when Jesus said, go ye therefore. And it's still true today. But the commission hasn't changed. And so we have to go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, I know you've given me this job, but ain't no way I can fulfill this job. I can't do it. But he said, I've committed it to you. He says in verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. I want you to see here that these people are, are, are believers in Corinth. This is the second letter. They are already reconciled to God in the sense of having their, their sins imputed to Christ and have, having uh, his righteousness imputed to them. They've already been born again. But now there's a, an, a, a situation that's developed where there's a little bit of distance now between what God wants them to do and what they want to do. And he's saying, you believers need to be reconciled to God. And he said, I'm praying you just like when God came through Christ, and now I'm praying you through Christ, be reconciled to God. Be on the same page. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation. This church has been given the ministry of reconciling Toledoans to God. That's what we've been given. And, and listen, it's not, it's not only going out and seeing people saved. That's not all it is. But I can tell you, it doesn't end with, let's get as many people in this building as we can. That's not the point. How many remember when Pastor Sal used to say, we could have Michelob Sunday and pack the church out? That's what he was saying. If the goal is to get as many people in the building as possible, we ought to be having lots of beer flowing through. Here, why? Because Toledoans love beer. We could have weed. They love weed. Right? We could have all kinds of really cool stuff that they love and just get as many people and we could have a prayer. We could say, hey, everybody, look at the floor. Okay, they got their heads bowed. I pray in Jesus' name. You could manipulate people. You could get them to do things. That's not what we're trying to do. At the same time, it, we have a responsibility to reconcile the world unto, unto God. And he said, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God about this matter. For he hath made him to be sin." For us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And keep in mind that those people who were made the righteousness of God had to be told by someone else about the righteousness of God. Someone had to tell them about it. So what do we do? Sometimes we water down the message and we say, oh, well, here's how you do it. You, 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 you get into a little quick dialogue and you get them, don't let them say no. And, and only let them say answers. To, only let them answer yes to questions. And you push and get them. Then it's going to pray a prayer, and then they're good to go. Well, that the problem is they don't even realize they're sinners, and so they don't even want to get saved. They just want to get you off their doorstep. 
And that's hard. It's hard sometimes to be able to tell if somebody really is interested or not. But I can tell you this. Once people are made aware of their sin, they will do their best to justify it some way or other. They will either say there is no God, religions all say different things, or you have your way, I have mine. They have to justify it because every man has a conscience that works to some degree or another. Our job is to go out and to apply the righteousness of God, make them aware of the fact that the righteousness of God is available as a free gift. In order for them to get that gift, they have to want it. In order for them to want it, they have to realize they're sinners and they need it. And so we go out and we try to do that. That's our purpose. Now, I want to take you through several things. I talked about incorrect assumptions about the church. And I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm going through a list of things. And I'm going to be very transparent with you and honest tonight. Uh, Not that I'm normally dishonest. But I, I want you to understand where my heart is. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. The Bible says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Hope Baptist Church has a reason, a purpose for existence. The purpose of Hope Baptist Church. First question for you tonight. Why do we exist? Here's the answer. Hope Baptist Church exists to glorify Jesus Christ by multiplying disciples. That is the reason why we exist as a church. And to the degree that you agree with that, we can work together. If you say, I'm not convinced. Listen, I, 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 believe me, this is something I've prayed about. I've fasted about. I've questioned. I've discussed. I've studied the word of God extensively to find out what is the the. the Inner core, what are we supposed to be doing? Why are we here? Now you understand why? Once you state a purpose, now we can talk about whether or not we agree with it. I could give you a hundred reasons why church doesn't, church should not exist. In other words, incorrect ideas about the church, and you might amen all of them, but what do you believe the church is supposed to be doing? And if you disagree with this, I would ask you to, I would ask why? Notice he says, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. Was that written a hundred years ago? Five hundred years ago? Thousand years ago? It was written almost two thousand years ago when the Apostle Paul wrote that down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And how did we get glory in this church in 2023? I'll tell you how. By multiplying disciples. That's how it happened. People throughout church history have voluntarily submitted themselves to the words of God. They've been taught, they've been trained, and they've gone out to take the Bible to other people. Multiplying disciples. You say, well, I I, I don't like that word multiplying. Well, it's a Bible word. The disciples were multiplied in Jerusalem. You know, how happened, you know how it happened? It happened when they, they found unity in purpose. They found unity in the Spirit. Hope Baptist Church. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, this is my heart. I believe it's biblical. Now, I understand. It's easy for us to think, well, you know, I mean, that's good. That's a good idea. I believe this. The closer we get to unity on that, the more the Holy Spirit of God is going to bless our efforts through that. 
Hope Baptist Church exists to glorify Jesus Christ by multiplying disciples. Now, I want to talk about some behaviors that we need to have as believers. How should we behave? Number one, we should behave with flexibility. I'm sorry, the first one I think I have is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Dying to self. Behavior, why? Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself. Sacrifice. You know, you've sacrificed by coming back to church tonight. Nobody else on your block went to church, probably. Probably nobody on your block went to church this morning. Is this the only way to do church three times a week? No. In our past, we've done four times a week. This is the way we do it now, for sure. I know this. You're not here because going to Sunday night church means you are godlier and and further up the notch. A, a, a notch above other believers. Now, if you come for that, uh, it's only going to last a certain amount of time because that's self-righteousness. I think you're here tonight because you're on board with what God wants to do in this church. That's why you came back. But it's a sacrifice. Some of you give a tithe of your income. Not all of you, but some of you do. You know what that is? It's a sacrifice. How is it possible that you could give 10% of your income away and still survive? I don't know. You're doing it, aren't you? Some of you go above and beyond 10% and you give more towards faith promise or other offerings. What is that? It's a sacrifice. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Sacrifice is dying to self. I'm looking for people. God's looking for people who will sacrifice. I want you to take your Bibles and look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. 2 Timothy 4, 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Don't tell people that only come on Sundays. Please don't tell them this. And there are some that would be here tonight if they could, and they're sick or whatever. We're not some super spiritual better people because we come on Sunday night. But there is one thing that is true about you. You're willing to sacrifice Sunday night by coming back. That is true about you. And the people that we have here are our core faithful members. We want everybody that wants to be here. We want them all. But the truth is, the bulk of the work of this church is going to be done, not by the Sunday morning crowd, but by the Sunday evening crowd. It's just a fact. Have you heard of the Pareto principle, 80-20 principle, sometimes called? The idea is that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. If you could solve 80, Microsoft found that they could solve 80, uh, 80% of the problems they had with viruses came down to working on 20% of the problems. It's an 80-20 rule. And it, it seems to hold true in church. I don't think it has to. Because the Lord says he wants us all to join together. But it seems to be true. Now, we've got more than 20% of the crowd from this morning. You know what that means? We've got a lot of people who are ready and willing to sacrifice for the Lord. We've been greatly blessed. You're not here because you have to be here. You're here because you believe you ought to be here. And ought means I'm holding myself accountable to something outside of myself. You know what you can do? You can thank God for his mercy and faithfulness in your life. Just say, thank you, Lord, that I'm able to be here and I'm faithful. Look what it says. 
They will not endure sound doctrine. You ever find yourself, your mind waning? <laughs> you ever find yourself uh, kind of fainting in your mind when you're in preaching? Can I tell you why that is? Because good preaching has to be endured. If it's always enjoyed, it's probably not sound doctrine. If it's really sound doctrine, it will wear on your flesh. Either make it hard for you to stay awake, or it will, it will cause you to be irritated with it. These guys here, they don't, there's going to come a time, he said, when they don't want a sound doctrine, what do they do? They go to the, they go to the buffet, and they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They say, I like somebody to scratch me here. Scratch me here. No, higher, 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 higher. You know what? When you come to church, we all have one back scratcher. This is it. And you don't get to decide. You line up with it. It doesn't come to you and find a little place that makes you feel better. That's part of the reason why unity in the church is so important. It's not about individual people getting what they want. Well, why don't we have this ministry? Well, maybe we should have it. But we should have it. Amen? Not you should have it and your friends. We should have it. It doesn't mean that everybody in the church works on the same ministry. I'm glad to say that we don't have to meet in the nursery tonight. Why? There are certain select few, may I say, special forces soldiers that go into that dangerous territory and do a very important work. And we're thankful for all those ladies that do that. No, but we are 100% behind the nursery. And I can tell you one thing. If you sign up for the nursery, it's not, <laughs> I don't think it's, so you can go back and talk and get out of church. You know the easiest way to get out of church? Don't come. Amen? I don't know, people, it amazes me. People in the, in the foyer, standing around talking, you're like, what are you doing? Just don't come. Like, you don't get points for standing in the foyer. It's not the purpose. Right? You know, ladies don't go in the nursery to stand around and sit around and, and talk. Well, we need our time. Well, you've got lots of hours in the week where you get together. The purpose of the church, of a ministry, is to facilitate the mission. Such an important mission back there. Why? Because what it, 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 ministry, because what it does is it allows us to focus on the things of God. Thank God for it. Not every church has that. Many, many, many churches don't have that. Thank God for them. Look at what he says here. The time will come when they will not endure that after their own lust shall they heap to themselves. Well, I like preachers that make me feel this way. And that's understandable. Apparently, you, you, you're not mature enough to handle sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is going to make you feel uncomfortable. What happens in verse 4? They, they heap to themselves teachers, and then in verse 4, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be, shall be turned unto fables. And why, how can that even happen? Here's how it happens. The guy says, I don't, I just think it's, it's, I don't like the way he is, or I don't like what he says, or I don't, I mean, I think you need to be more, okay, well, probably you're right, but is he preaching the Bible? Rightly contextualized and compared with other verses. If he's preaching the Bible, maybe you turn the cat around, right? If the cat's fur gets rubbed the wrong way, turn the cat around. Okay, because what happens is when you start saying, well, not him, I like him because of the way he makes me feel. You know what the next step is? Fairy tales. You end up with nothing more than what a motivational speaker would say to a Fortune 500 company. In, in weak sauce form, because those guys are really good communicators. 
And so you end up with fables, and you don't even know the truth from error anymore. Why? Guess what, guys? I don't know the truth from error. You know how I find out? The Bible. Not my dizzying intellect. That's not how I know this stuff. I correct myself all the time. If you listen to my podcast, uh, podcast Brother George Antonios and I have, um, it's called Wits End. And that's basically where we are. At our wits end. Often, I'll say, well, I, you know, I was thinking about that. I wonder if that verse, and he'll say, well, don't forget this verse. Oh, great. Ruins my theory. One, I'll give you an example. I was thinking, well, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. It's one of the only things that he formed with his hand. That makes awesome teaching as long as you don't read the rest of the Bible, where it says his hands formed the dry land. See what I'm saying? So anything that I say can and should be held against the Bible. It should. But if you don't like the Bible and you don't want to hear the Bible, you may just rather have somebody say, I'll tell you what you'll be dealing with. Somebody was talking this morning about churches who are questioning, should we have women pastors? Which, by the way, the answer to that question is not, no, women are stupid. That's not the answer to the question. That's what the Southern Baptist Church has been struggling with. The answer is not, no, women should not be, women are not important. That's not the answer. The question is, what saith the scriptures? All right? So a pastor, what is the pastor? Uh, supposed to be the husband of one wife. So you've got two options there. Either only men or lesbians are allowed. And we know what God thinks about lesbianism, right? According to Romans chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1. We know that, okay, so the answer is women can't be pastors. That's, I mean, that's as simple as that. Okay, so let's say, well, I, I think that they should. Okay, well, you can come up with anything you want, and you can call it whatever you want, but it doesn't make it a Bible church. Okay, so the Bible church, what does that mean? We've got to study the Bible. We've got to get in the Bible. We're going back to the Bible. And if you find in your flesh, I don't know, turn to so many verses, just make me feel something. I do understand that, but I think if I gave you chocolate milk and chocolate milk and chocolate milk, it may prohibit your growth further down the road. You might walk out going, man, I love that guy. I want you to walk out going, man, I love that God. That's what I want. And that's, <laughs> I'm, you pray for me. That's a big, that's a tall order. He says this, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So the first thing, how do we behave? We behave with sacrifice. Hope Baptist Church is not a place that it is for, it is available to anyone, but it is not for everyone. Does that make sense? Okay, in other words, we're not going to change the requirements of following Jesus Christ and sound doctrine just to get more people. And we're not going to pretend like, well, you know, a lot of people, they don't want to come on Sunday nights. Don't we have bigger crowds on Sunday mornings, typically? Well, we should just cancel Sunday night. Yeah, even if we did, and scripturally speaking, I think we could. Don't freak out. We're not going to. But even if we did, that doesn't remove the fact that some people still don't want to grow. We're removing an opportunity for people to die to self, to sacrifice, to invest. It costs something to invest. All right, let's go to the next one. The first behavior is sacrifice. And the next one is charity. Believing and supporting one another. Our interactions are charity, 
believeth all things, suffereth all things, endureth all things. So my interactions with you, in order for me to multiply disciples, I have to believe that the best about you, not the worst. The next one, can't remember what I put in there. In which order? Flexibility. Flexibility. Innovation and forbearance. What does that mean? Some things may change in this church. Some things may change in this church. It's going to require flexibility. Now, if I haven't proven to you in 19 years that I have no intention of going contemporary. I don't know when I'm going to prove it to you. But I can promise you this. If we get a, a new screen up here, that's going to be something that innovates. I think it's going to help our church. You're going to have to have some flexibility if it's a problem for you. See, it's innovation and forbearance. It depends on which side you are. If you want to do it, you're like, come on, you stubborn mules, let's go. If you don't want to do it, you might be the one that's saying, what are you doing? You might have to put up with it a little bit. Forbear. Forbear. And you say, well, I, I don't think that we should change anything. Do you realize that when this church was formed, it was only less than 10 years removed from the moon landing? July 1969. You know what that means? A lot has changed. A lot has changed. Change doesn't have to be bad, although it can be. You know what good change is called? Improvement. Improvement. Now, here's, here, if, you'll, if you'll listen to the devil, he's talking to you right now, and he's whispering in your ear, he's going to change something that's going to ruin this church. Listen, if you want to believe that, go back and look at charity. Believing the best. Believing the best. You know, there's no way in the world for mama to make every child happy in every moment. Why? It's not mama's job to do that. Mama has to provide for everybody. Now, I'm not your mama, okay? But my responsibility is not to make you happy. It's to make you holy. It's to make him happy by making you holy. That's my job. And I'm going to do my best to be careful and measured and trustworthy so that you can know where I am as a shepherd. I'm going to do that. But I'm just telling you, there's going to be things that come along, and the devil will jump in your ear and say, and you just look at him and say, take a chill pill. Relax. Relax. You know, what, you know what's amazing? If I were to say, if I were to say, we're going to change this, and your mind would be captivated and consumed with the thought and the fear of that changing, so much so that it's more important to you than the fulfilling of the Great Commission. Why aren't you afraid of that? Why aren't you afraid of not seeing the Great Commission fulfilled? You know, that tells, I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm saying you have to learn. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. You have to build up walls because Tobiah and Sanballat are going to come in and say, hey, this is what the problem is. You should be afraid of this. You need to build that wall and say, Tobiah and Sanballat, get your household stuff out of my mind. Get out of here. I'm not listening to that junk. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to be afraid. And listen, if you walk away from this message and all you can think about is your fears of what I'm going to change, you're missing it. You're missing it. I can promise you this. If I were to say I will never change a thing, that would be a bald-faced lie. 
Because the people who don't want change or the people who, who, who don't want change, anything that I change, they're going to say, you said you would never change. Guys, I'll never change. Have you noticed there's a little bit more of this here and there and a little more of this? I'm changing all the time. You know what hasn't changed? This right here. And that's my desire to hold us accountable to that. I hope we change this carpet. This this carpet has endured for half of this church's life. (laughs) It may be time to change it out. Well, I hope we get exactly the same color. I don't. (laughs) Nothing against the color. Listen, if you're mad, I put that. Okay, forgive me. Forgive me. (laughs) I'm having fun with it a little bit. You know, the biggest concern we have should not be the external things. The biggest thing concerned should be, are we fulfilling the spiritual purpose of this church? That ought to keep you up at night. You ought to be bothered saying, God, are we doing what you want us to do? Not, are they, they, when you start talking about they at the church, watch out. I heard somebody say, I heard, you know, I'm not going to be there for, for your activity, for your outreach. I'm like, who's this your you're talking about? I thought you were a member of this church. If you can't come, I'm not yelling and screaming at you. That's understandable. I'm saying it's our outreach. This is our building. That's a tool. God is using us in Toledo. What should we do? We should have some flexibility for one another. And let me show you another one. This one I'll just go burn through because it's too hard. Honesty, speaking the truth in love. All right, next point. You know the reason why you have problems in your family? your relationships, because you don't say the truth in love. You let problems fester and fester and fester and fester, and you consider it some kind of superior spirituality to not talk about actual issues. Notice, it's speaking the truth in love. Not just speaking the truth, because the truth without love can be very harsh and, and unkind and debilitating and destructive. But the truth in love is like a surgeon going in and using a very specific scalpel and making a specific line that's X amount long and no longer. And he goes in and he says, this right here, we're taking out. That's speaking the truth in love. It must be done. If you do not speak the truth in love, you cannot function in a New Testament church. It's very important. Folks will leave the church. And not say one word. You know what? They have a problem with honesty. You know what? People don't want to hear anything but what they think. And guess what? I'm the same way. I do not like it when my wife is right and I'm wrong. I'm not a sadist. I'm not happy about, oh, yes, Jess, tell me more about how I failed Oh, it feels so good when you hit me with your words like that. No. You know what I'm thinking? The whole time. Ain't right. That's not true. I can prove you're wrong and you're worse than I am. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) I'm just giving you insight into my marriage. I know yours is perfect. I'd love to come over sometime and see that in action. Listen, this idea of cold wars... Is, is not Christ-like. Speaking the truth in love. 
Well, they treated my, my daughter or my son like that in the nursery. Well, maybe you ought to pray about it, think about it, look in the mirror and say, it could be that you're wrong. And then, if you're convinced that you're not, you ought to say something to the person that's responsible. Or, here's another option. You can tuck that away as a little credit for the future when you're ready to really launch your war. And if you've got a whole bunch of stuff that's stocked up, I've got a whole shed full of stuff I could use against this church. You're an idiot. Worse than that, you're a coward. You're a coward. Stand up and say, this is a problem. But say it in love. You see, if I walk up to somebody and say, you've got a cold. You've got a cold. Well, how does that get? Is it true? Yes, it's true. It's not very loving. It's not very helpful. You know what I could do? I could say, I noticed that you have a cold. I, I brought you some chicken noodle soup. That shows love with the truth. How are we going to accomplish this? These are the behaviors that are going to be required, and there's many more, but these are ones that we found out. Why? Because as, even as church staff, we found these are very important. Because when you have your own agenda, and you're working very diligently on your own mission, and it's not the mission of the church, it's not connected with the mission of the church, what you will eventually find is that you can no longer speak the truth with your brother. You are almost bound to be deceptive with him or her. Why? Because we're not on the same page. Are you following me tonight? Okay, let's go on. We talked about why do we exist? How do we behave? What do we do? Here's what we do. And I say we. I'm speaking particularly about me, but you as well. We perfect the saints through preaching and teaching and prayer. That's my job as a pastor. I'm supposed to study the word and minister the word in prayer, okay? We facilitate their perfecting through worship, evangelism, discipleship, and charity. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. That is what we do. What's, what's the job of the pastor? That's the job of the pastor. Perfect the saints and to facilitate their perfecting. How will we succeed? What are some indicators that, that will guarantee our success? If we are truly going to multiply disciples to bring glory to Jesus Christ, here's how we will succeed. First of all, through the sufficiency of the King James Bible. That is the foundation. Without that, we do not have a church. We believe in the sufficiency and in the perfection of the King James Bible. Now, that sets us apart. That makes us weird at parties. Guess what? I'd rather be weird with God in my posse than cool without him. You say, you're saying that all those other versions don't have... I'm just saying they don't believe in the perfection of their Bibles. I believe in the perfection of this book right here. It's not because I said it. It's not because Pastor Sal said it. It's because it's true. And so we believe that the, the, the King James Bible itself is sufficient to accomplish the multiplication of disciples in Toledo, Ohio. I believe that. I tell you this, I'm this close to getting out of the ministry if I don't, do, I don't believe that. If I don't believe that, I'm done with it. It's very, very important. And by the way, if you don't believe that, you could be stuck. You could be stuck for a long, long, long time. And I'll tell you this too, you might continue with us, and I'm not talking to anybody specifically, and I don't think anybody disagrees with me in this area that I know of, uh, that's here tonight, but I will say this, it's going to be very difficult for you to work together to see souls one to Christ 
if you don't believe the same thing about the very foundation of our church. Very, 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 very important. I guarantee you that this will work. Guarantee it. Why? Because of the King James Bible. I believe it's true, and I believe that what God said, he meant. So you and I have that. What an asset. What an asset. The very living words of the Almighty God, we have in our language. We have it. You have it right there in your lap. Next, how will we succeed? We'll succeed by training disciple-making disciples. People who are capable of teaching others also. That's how we get the multiplication. You see, here's the thought. You might think, well, how are we going to multiply? We're going to have... No, 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 look. I want you to think about it. If, 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 if you would be willing, if God could do it, and I'm not asking you, this is not a formal vote, this is not a formal commitment. I'm asking you, if you would be interested in training a disciple who would make another disciple, raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. Hold it up nice and high. You'd be interested in training a disciple who could make another disciple. Do you see that? That's how you multiply. Because if we were to take all those people and just a third of those people were not from this church, in five years, those people are training other people. That's how you multiply. So when we pray, we're not just praying, uh, God, lead me to the person in here that needs to be discipled. We need that. Some of you need to be discipled. You need that regular routine and discipline of being in the Scripture and being held accountable to the Scripture. But there's other people out there who are not even saved. They don't even know the first thing. I was talking to somebody this week about discipleship. You know, the idea is not let's just get them to church. Let's get them in the Bible. Because if you get them in the Bible the way God wants us to be in the Bible, they'll get in church. So it's not just, well, I invite them to church. You know what you should say? Hey, could we do a Bible study? Would you ever be interested in doing a Bible study? Now, I understand. I'm not talking about a share your ignorance club. I'm not talking about let's get together away from the authority, away from the, 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 the accountability of local church. I'm not saying that. You've got a friend. You know the Bible. Go and say to her, would you ever want to do a Bible study with me on the issue of and name the issue in her life? You following me? Okay. You know what? Now the ball's in her court because you claimed that the Bible has the answer. And now she has to consider whether or not she wants to hear what God says about her problem. You could say this to your fellow employees, to your employees, to your boss. Hey, you ever want to, you ever want to do a Bible study on name a specific topic that would interest them and say, I'd be willing to do it. And then go running as fast as possible to somebody who knows about the subject to help you catch up. That's called faith. It stretches your muscles. Now you're outside. You know what you could do? You, could, you come to me and say, hey, I've got a neighbor that wants to, you know, is interested in this or that. Sit down with them and you don't have to do it for the rest of time. You could do one Bible study with him. You've opened up the Bible. That's how we multiply training, disciple, making disciples. And I guarantee you that that formula will work. How do I know that? Because I got led to Christ by my father, John Marshall. He got led to Christ by Dallas Billington, pastor of Akron Baptist Temple. He got led to Christ by a, 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 an evangelist down in Kentucky. I'm here today because this works. And it will work if you work it. You ever use a high heel to drive a, ham to drive a nail? I mean, growing up, there were high heels all over the place. Grab one, boom, 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 boom. Not meant to do it, but it'll work. Why? Even a poor instrument, if you apply enough effort, will work. What happens when you take a perfect instrument and use it? It'll work, guaranteed. 
but we have to work it. And by the way, let me encourage you. Some of you, you've worked in discipleship, and those, those folks have, have, have fallen away. And you start thinking, well, what's the purpose? Does it really work? Yes, it works. John chapter 6, verse 66. Many of his disciples went back and no longer followed him. Discipleship is a call to deny yourself and follow Jesus Christ. And if a person makes a choice not to do it and continue, you've helped them. Kind of a weird way of looking at it, but it's the truth. Now, the last one is this, uh, under how will we succeed? By defining and reviewing steps to accomplish the mission. So you define it, and then you review it. Define it and review it. So, for instance, uh, you know, our day of honor. Our day of honor is defined as an opportunity to see people saved. Secondarily, to, thank our, uh, to, to perform a civic act in thanking our veterans. But we define that mission, and then we go out and we do it, and then we refine it and review it. How did we do? Defining and reviewing these steps to accomplish the mission. What's the mission? To, multi- to glorify Jesus Christ by multiplying disciples. Now, I want you to stay with me here tonight. I know we've gone a lot. Uh, hang with me. I'm going to go quickly through the rest of this, if you would. We talk about the big four. The big four. Have you, have you seen that graphic up around? Okay, it's a graphic. It doesn't, I'm not married to it. It's not the most important thing. It's just a visual way of explaining these four areas that I believe are very important. First of all, you see the hub. That's the word of God and prayer. An emphasis on Bible reading and prayer. That's why we do walk by the word. Emphasize it. Uh, and then prayer. Praying that God would have his will done in our lives. Praying. Praying that God's will would be done. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. Uh, 9, 10 and 11. He said, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You ought to learn to pray from the Bible. If you don't know how to pray... Go to Paul's epistles and read what he prayed for. That was the Holy Spirit of God directing him and pray what he prayed. Just start doing that. You know, we pray for our health. We pray for our kids to get good grades. We pray for, you know, the mortgage payment, all that, and we should. But we also really ought to pray that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You say, I don't even know what that means. Well, you better start praying about it then. Because the Holy Spirit wants you to know what it means. He wants you to have wisdom. So praying and reading the Bible, that is the the hub that everything else is powered by. Without the Bible, we can't do it. Without prayer, we can do the physical actions, but there will be no spirit involvement. It's through the prayer, it's through prayer that the Holy Spirit gets involved in our actions. Okay, next, we have worship. What is that? It's communing with God through preaching, prayer, and singing together. How do we facilitate that? Well, we set aside Sundays as an opportunity for families to worship the Lord together. We have a specific time during our AM service where we try to focus on that. Worship is the worship of God. And that, why do we start there? Because he said, God is looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. Now, he wants us to study our Bible. 
He wants us to pray. He wants us to have all of those things that we know we should do. But at, at the very core of it, I come to God and say, God, you are above me. I worship you. That's where it all starts. You ought to have your personal time of worship where you are humbling yourself, not just speed reading through your Bible, but worshiping your God individually. Worship sometimes results in, often results in praise or singing. But worship is the beginning. People talk about worship, and they think of worship as lights and smoke and the same pentatonic scale that's used over and over and over and over again, and the same worship songs. That's not worship. That's praise in many cases. Hopefully, it's praise. No, worship is the acknowledgement of who God is and my recognition of that. Next, we have, and by the way, careful, Jesus said to the woman at the well, ye worship, ye know not what. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking you know. Next is evangelism. Evangelism, what is that? It's witnessing the gospel in our community and around the world. How do we facilitate that here? We do that through door-to-door canvassing. We do it through street ministry. We do it through uh, jail ministries, nursing home ministries. We do it through worldwide support of missionaries, financial and prayer support of these missionaries. We do it through the Day of Honor. We do it, have done it in the past through Memorial Day Parade, through, through fair ministry. Those are things, that, all options that are there to facilitate evangelism. There's something that's coming on October the 5th. It'll be our first time we've done this is a Thursday night. It's called Endeavor. And it's a monthly accountability group to move people from friends to faith to fellowship. The whole point is, I want you to hold me accountable Over the next month, I'm saying this verbally to you in this meeting, that I'm going to talk to these men, to this lady. I'm going to reach out to her. I'm going to uh, uh, ask him if he wants to go for coffee. I'm going to intentionally try to engage him. And it's an accountability group. The whole idea is I'm willing to be held accountable next month. How did it go with that guy? How did it go with her? When you, you, you said you were going to pray and talk to her? You say, I don't want none of that. Listen, sometimes there's a place for all different kinds of evangelism. Knocking on doors, it's a very good thing because physically you're out there, you're doing it. But let's just face it, most of the time you'll never see that person again. When you're on the street, you hold a sign, you preach, that's great, it's a blessing. God can use that and he does. We had a lady saved this year during street ministry. But often we'll never see those people again. This is actually a little bit more intense and personal because we're talking about people who you see and people who you will intend to see on purpose. Maybe at the gym, maybe at the grocery store, maybe at at your workplace. Endeavor, October 5th, mark it down. The next thing is discipleship. And this is growing through intentional study, discipline, and accountability. We already talked about this a lot, but I will mention quickly, it's one-on-one weekly discipleship. We have discipleship three times a week in, in services where I'll open the Bible or some preacher and, and give you the Word of God rightly contextualized. Sometimes we have formal classes in the Institute. Men's Bible studies, ladies' Bible studies, smaller groups. So I had uh, this several uh, over the past year, uh, summer, I've had several nights where we had the college and career students at our home and we talked specifically about issues that affect their lives. Want to do more of that. And then lastly is charity. Charity, serving one another in love and generosity. I think our church does a wonderful job with this. I heard about 
uh, Todd and Krista celebrated the birth of their baby girl. Uh, what is her name? Beverly. Beverly Jane. What a great name. The, the Intamins do so great with names, don't they? And, and so she, she had the baby, and uh, Mrs. Niemer, who is, uh, helps to coordinate, he, she and her husband, they coordinate our member care. She said she sent out a text, uh, and within an hour there were four people who said, I want to bring a meal, I want to send a meal. And what that is, is charity. See, the, the job of the pastor, my job is to facilitate that. Well, I think somebody should get over there and visit them. If you think it, you probably should do it. Why? It helps me to show charity. We do that through fellowships. Lastly, I want to say this. It's not on the screen. My job is to help you do your job. That's what it is. Every ministry that we have is, should be an opportunity to fulfill our mission. And my job is to go through the Pauline epistles and to find every duty incumbent on the believer and to guarantee that we have a ministry to facilitate that duty. So just by coming to church, you are being exposed to the duties of the Christian life. If you would, take your Bibles to Ephesians 4, and we'll close tonight. Today has been uh, a long time in church, a long time of preaching, and I appreciate your patience. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse number 11. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. What's a joint? A joint. No, it's not marijuana. A joint is a place where two believers meet. That which every joint supplieth. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, the effectual working in the measure, the capability, the potential of every part. What happens when we do that? It maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I want our church to grow. I do too. Guess who's going to make it grow? You are. The body edifies edifies itself in love. Well, maybe we need to hire a new staff member. Well, maybe we do. But that would not preclude this incumbent responsibility. You see, you are supposed to edify this church. How am I supposed to do that? Well, one thing you don't, you don't you're never going to be able to do it by pulling away from the church. By isolating yourself from the church. You'll never be able to edify other people until you create some kind of a joint where you are connecting with other people where you're volunteering in a ministry, where you're seeing an opportunity and you say, I'll do that, I'll do that. Guess what? It's going to require sacrifice. You're going to have to die to the way you think. You're going to have to begin to incorporate how others think. It's going to take a long time. 
what you're going to find is that all the junk that's in you that doesn't look like Jesus, God's going to start pulling it out. And all the stuff in me that doesn't look like Jesus, he's going to start pulling it out. And we find ourselves pulled together. And now suddenly I'm like this and you're like this. And God is building Jesus Christ in Toledo, Ohio. And the measure of Christ is accomplished. It's exactly what he intends to do with this church. And by God's grace, as your pastor, that's where I'm going. He said unto him, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. The purpose of this church is to glorify the Son of God, Jesus Christ, by multiplying disciples. And we're not going to do it perfectly. We're going to step forward. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to have great days. We're going to have really difficult times. But I promise you this. If we will forget those things which are behind, and we will reach forth unto the things which are before, and press toward the mark, we have the potential of receiving the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Can you believe that? You can get a prize from Jesus himself. He wants you to get it. He wants this church to get it. And by his grace, we're going to get it. But we've got to pull together. And we've got to support one another. And we need to be on the same page. I want you to do this. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. Does God want me at this church to do this? If God wants you at this church, he wants you to do this. I'm not ready to kick anybody out. We don't need to lose anybody else. I'm not looking to get rid of people. But I also think it's disingenuous for us to pretend to be working on the same mission when we're all working on separate missions. I think we need to pull together. I think we need to say, Lord, if this is the direction that your word says, and by the way, be a Berean, go home and study it out. If this is the direction your word says, I'm in. And I'm going to do my best to support this church because I am this church. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me tonight? Thank you for listening again. Thank you for being here. and Thank you for enduring. We have an opportunity as a church to affect history itself. I can tell you one thing. We won't be the first church. And according to Ephesians 3.20, we won't be the last church. But I want to jump in and grab a hold of the opportunity. Are you like me? Do you want to do something with the time you have left on this earth? Or do you just want to go to work, go out to eat, go on vacation, and go home? Hey, those things all have their place. But I want to do it. I want to see God multiply disciples in Toledo, Ohio. If it takes everything I have, and it probably will. If you're like that tonight, why don't you join us down here at the altar? You say, yes, that's me. I'm in. I want to be a part of that. I believe that that's what God wants us to do as a church. I think that's where God has us. As a church, I believe what you're saying because it's written in the Word of God. I see it clearly. And I want to be a part of that. The piano's going to play tonight.